Welcome to Roundtail Radio, the podcast from Roundtail Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, redefine what we're talking about when we talk about faith. Good morning, Shannon. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be here. Great. With you and our audience. Yes. Great. So um, you were talking about this idea a little bit earlier about getting out of your comfort zone. I like how you phrased it. Your discomfort zone. Discomfort zone. She's feeling punny. Um, Yeah, I need to come up with a pithy title. So behold. Yes. (laughs) I love this because so often I know as human beings, we want to be around people that are like ourselves, right? Yeah, sure. And that's not always necessarily the best route for growth. So the way this started for me was back after... Uh, undergrad, I worked for a bank for three years and had wanted to go serve overseas as a missionary. And I ended up going to Japan. Mm-hmm. And I stayed over there for a year teaching English with a, um, a mission agency. Okay. So, And what I found in that year, it was one of the hardest, most difficult experiences of my life, but probably one of the most growth producing. Okay, Because what I found was about six months in, I realized the newness of it had worn off Mm. and I couldn't blend in. Okay. And so I was around, I mean, people were still coming up and touching my hair. I was on the Uh, outskirts of Tokyo. Okay. And, uh, you know, I was different. Yeah. And so I, number one, I saw how it feels, what it feels like to be treated differently because of the way you look. Sure. But I made a vow to myself uh, that I've kept for most of the years of my life. Um, that I would never put myself around people that were all, that totally looked like me, okay, um, ever again. On, for you know, for work and and uh, living. Okay. So, for instance, when I worked in Scarsdale, I lived in White Plains in an interracial neighborhood. Um, when I uh, worked here last time, I lived over in Mount Kisco, where there was mm-hmm. tremendous racial and socioeconomic diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, I now live in Greenwich, so I'm not always doing that. <laughs> um, I will say that each of those experiences allowed me to kind of push up against what was uncomfortable in myself okay. and not, and to kind of be not hypervigilant, but just kind of aware that not everybody is always treated the same. Okay. So some of the ways that, that I've continued to do that when I have lived, like when I lived in Wilton um, and before that, I would take congregants down to New York City to work with the homeless mm-hmm. and be around people who are different. The way that that's worked for me is to see the face of God in other people and to continue to kind of press on what my assumptions are okay. about sameness and to learn from other points of view. Yeah. So for instance, before I would go down with this incredible organization called the Midnight Run, where you actually, you you gather a group of people, um, it's out of Austin, New York, and it's been in, around for like 40 years. But they're probably like, mm, I'd say maybe 300 churches, synagogues, schools in the tri-state area mm-hmm. that participate in this, probably five nights a week down wow. in New York City, where they gather up food and clothing, 
and go down to a specific route because it's organized and you go and it's a ministry of hospitality where you are talking with people who are who have come. There are people who are homeless that are on the board of directors, so they know about this, and they can get people to the different spots. But you talk to people and make conversation and offer hospitality. Um, and what I have said before I have gone is, we are going, and you will see the face of God in these homeless people. Mm. That's kind of what my experience is of... It's a spiritual experience of being around people who are different, who look different than me, who have a different experience than me, whether it's economically mm-hmm. or racially mm-hmm. uh, or culturally, um, that it forces me to look at my own biases mm-hmm. and to extend a hand of welcome and the assumption that God is in that person. Mm-hmm. So I thought we might talk a little bit about what is it for you and me and what is it possibly to get our viewing and listening audience thinking about what is it that gets you outside of your own presumptions and keeps you growing spiritually yeah um in your sphere in your life so uh, you know another another way one of the things that when i was here before we took a couple of trips down to nicaragua um to go live out in very rural areas, the um, participants, and we had like 15 go at a time, mm-hmm. uh, ate rice and beans, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, stayed on cots with mosquito netting. We built a house or a church uh, for the community where they actually chose, in the community, chose who would get it. It's, it's a wonderful organization called Bridges to Community, again, out of Austin, um, that allows you to see in a very drastic way the difference the different ways that people live Mm -hmm. and the joy that can be found in that kind of situation so that allowed people to get out of their comfort zones for a week and then come back and say okay how does this fit in my life how about you any experience for you whether travel or (laughs) even local yeah well um i yeah i could well mine's not as exciting as yours <laughs> but it did make me think of so when I was between my my summer between high school and college so I was um people don't know my little bit of my not very exciting story is that I was born and raised in Atlanta Georgia and then left to go to Cleveland for college but literally had been you know from the time I was one lived in the same house life was very like consistent and safe and um, I went to a pretty diverse high school. Um, so it wasn't like I wasn't around any real diversity. Um, and that was really, really great. Um, but then, but it was very, I hadn't left, I hadn't really had like an adult experience outside of the country for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents took me on a like couple week trip abroad. Um, so we did England and France and Austria and Italy. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so, and it was, which is still fairly, you know, Western Europe. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't like we were totally out of, out of our comfort zone. Um, and we started, we eased in by starting in England, you know, it's like, like, you know, London is basically New York with a better accent. <laughs> 
But then we sort of, you know, started to push a little bit more where you don't necessarily know the language. I knew a little bit of French from high school. So then we went to Paris next, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we started, you know, started to go further on. But it, it really, you know, that experience, I think I had been, I'd had a very American bias towards like America and the world that I didn't realize I had. Um, and I, it was very eye-opening to like, you know, you kind of, I don't know. I feel like I subconsciously thought, well, everything's just kind of better in America. And I was like, oh no, they, they, uh, they experience life in the world. And it's such a different way that to me felt deeper and richer, um, and kind of magical. Obviously I was on vacation, so everything felt very mellow. <laughs> Uh, versus, you know, living there for a long amount of time to the point of when I was making a big move when I was 30, it was, this is a hilarious sentence. It, the choice was going to be either move to Connecticut or move to France. Interesting. I really was really, but there's a lot of red tape with mm-hmm. musicians and organists and, and moving over there. There's a like, it was too much red tape that I could deal with at the time. Um, so I was like, I'm just going to, So what was you know. the draw then to France? I mean, what would have been... I don't know is okay. the short answer. Um, I've just always felt great there. There's just something in the air. There's something about the language. Um, you know, that whole, that whole sort of, you know, that or, or England. England feel, speaking of conversation, England, I always, I love being in England. I love I, everything about, it. I watch so much British television and film and media. Um, but it feels too easy for me. I think it felt like a little bit of a, a push. I've never been super great at languages. So it felt like, well, the only way to do it is just to like throw Immersion. yourself in there. Exactly. Um, I'm actually really curious about, you were telling us about your experience of living in Japan. And, you know, I can, I can totally appreciate the idea that like some days you just want to like not be obviously different and you just kind of want to hide back a little bit. So what took you from the place of, I just want to, I just want to hide or I just, I'm putting my own thing on yep. what you said, but like, I, I, you know, I would like to fit in at least for one day yeah. to this point of this is important for me. So what was that trend? Like what took you from, I am uncomfortable to, I need, I want to stay uncomfortable. That's a great question. And I think it's one that still applies to whether or not we want to be in conversation with people who think differently than us, mm. which, you know, our country's so divided right? Um, to, to engage in opinions that are different than our own right? to who do you have around your dinner table kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, that's a, you know, I haven't really thought about it in those terms. What, like, what was the move? I, I really bottomed out. About you know, I I I there were a lot of tears. I I soul searched. I prayed so much, and thought about you know I want to come home. And then it was turning it around and thinking, okay, I'm on the second second half of this, and I think it was a real spiritual experience mm-hmm. of of moving around and saying, wow, and kind of going from this is happening to me to. I can be an agent mm. in my world. So thank you for that. That's really good. And I would say I still want to go hide sometimes. I mean, sure. you know, I'm, I, I think I'm kind of right on the line between expert and introvert. So there are times <laughs> when I do want to go and just zone out. Sure. 
Um, but then there are times that, whoops, sorry about I just lost my earplugs. Um, there are times when, for instance, in my last congregation, we had a relationship with an African-American Baptist church. And um, particularly as all of the racial reckoning incidents were coming up around uh, p police brutality, that we had a relationship with the pastor of this church and the congregation. And he became such a good friend that he ended up doing my marriage three oh, years ago, lovely. my wedding. Um, and he invited me one night to a uh, Black Baptist prayer meeting that was in Bridgeport. And I took my daughter and I said, it's important for us to go. Yeah. And we were the only white people there in this very large congregation. And um, it felt so important for me and to model that for my daughter mm -hmm. to step out and to say we are all what is the the commonality here we are all human beings who suffer yeah and to go in and to listen yeah. and to not be afraid of being different yeah right yeah. so there are times when I can do that and choose to do that and times when I want to just curl back and be in the comfort of my own home and not be around difference. But it always pushes me to something more of, I think, the kingdom of God, mm -hmm. because God embraces diversity. Right. Right. God doesn't want us to be around people. That, I mean, look at how what a motley crew the disciples were, yeah. right? That Jesus was around. Right. Right. <laughs> and Jesus interacted with people that were very different from himself. Right. And constantly pushed boundaries. So I think for me, it's a little bit of a spiritual journey mm -hmm. to do that and to kind of be forced to look at what's comfortable and how I can fall into that too easily and that that's kind of lazy for my, on, for my, for me. Sure. It puts me in mind of a couple things musically, um, because I, I, it's f so funny. I've had this memory pop up in my mind twice in the past week that when I was sort of late high school, my um, voice teacher, mentor, all around awesome lady, her name is, her name is Mary Hoffman. Hi, Mary. Um, she took me, she went to do a choral workshop at, I want to say it was Ebenezer Baptist Church mm -hmm. in downtown Atlanta. Mm -hmm. um, and... That was out of my comfort zone. And I was there. I was basically there to observe. I think I played a little piano to just help out. Um, and she did this whole choral workshop with their choir. And it was like just the most joyful, incredible, like hour, hour and a half um, experience of choral music ever. And then um, if you actually you can go back and watch it. It's on our YouTube channel. We did uh, last year uh, two hymposiums where he talked about hymn singing. The second one was with a guy out of the hymn society called, his name is Brian Wren. And we had a fabulous conversation about singing each other's songs and about the power of acknowledging one another through our song. And um, that's honestly been something I have been working through myself intellectually about, especially especially with African-American spirituals. Mm -hmm. um, I am very mm, hesitant to bring certain spirituals to my choirs. Mm -hmm. My choirs have tended to be fully white people, fully white affluent people, 
Um, and it feels like we are singing this music to feel a certain way and to feel good about ourselves in a certain way and not in a way that sees and honors the community that they come from. Um, and I think I'm still learning about how to, how to approach this music in a way that is not cultural, um, help me, help me. Co-opting. Yes. Thank mm -hmm. you. And is in fact honoring. And I think there's a big difference. Huge difference. Thank you for that. And I think the difference uh, in my own mind is relationship. Mm -hmm. And if you, so for instance, like in seminary, I had, um, a singing friend who, Sandra Booz Bailey, is her mm. name. and she not only is a theologian, but she's a musician in Harlem. And she and I would sing spirituals together mm -hmm. so that she would invite me in to sing with her um, to experience that together. Wonderful, right? yeah. So different than co-opting if you're joining in. It's right. like, Again, who's around your dinner table, right. right? You're doing it together. But I love that and love Brian Wren, by the way. Yeah. Um, but singing another person's song without co-opting it, right? right? So how do you listen to someone else's experience? I mean, it could even be, in in the context of this conversation, reading outside of the genre you're, in, you're mm. accustomed to, mm -hmm. right? To, that's a way to push a boundary. Yeah listening to a different kind of music and yeah. appreciating it and then asking the experience of someone from that community mm -hmm. maybe yeah, to be in conversation with you. So, yeah. It also puts me in mind of actually our first symposium guest, um, the great Mark Miller. Mm. Um, so we've talked about him on the podcast before, but if those who are not familiar with him, Mark Miller, he and his sister actually were adopted by white parents um, and he was raised in probably a similar upbringing to mine. And he went to Juilliard for college. Very, very fine organist. He got his first job at a black Methodist church and um, went to play, I think, one of the hymns, which was This is the Light of Mine. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem with the United Methodist Church hymnal, one of them, is that the tune of this light of mine is not the one you are currently singing to yourself in your head. It is, um, it goes, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Now, who in the world has ever sung that tune? Right, it's this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. <laughs> right? That's what they wanted. But he'd been raised the way I'd been raised, which is you play the music on the page. Oh. And he started the hymn, and the pastor stopped him, oh. and they did it without organ or piano or whatever. I don't remember what console he was sitting at. Um, and they did it without him. And he was mortified, like any 20-something organist would be, right? Like, devastated. That, How long like, did he stay in that church? Years. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because he realized that it was not innate that he would know how to play this music because he is a person of color. He had to learn how to play this music. And so he worked really hard. And now he's, I mean, one of the, the keyboard skills to kill all killer skills. So then, so when I had the great, I mean, just honor to take his class at Yale, um, which I lovingly dubbed the teaching, uh, white kids from the suburbs how to play 
gospel music class, which was my favorite class in grad school. I'm sure. I took it twice. I just... <laughs> didn't have to. Just... It was uh-huh. the same class. Yeah. But he just, he would always bring in, so the best part was he would bring in music he was working on. So I've got all these like half done manuscripts of his. It's, oh my gosh. So incredible musician. Check him out if you don't know, but we're big fans here. Yes. Um, and so, but the, he taught us all how to like play off the page. Right. Which there's a huge tradition in organ playing and a huge tradition in church music of playing off the page. But it, that Talk got about your discomfort zone. Oh right. my gosh. <laughs> oh, like you want me to do what? Right. And it's so funny now because I was actually, we were doing some hymn. When was it? I it might have been on this past Sunday. Um, we did a hymn, and the organ, the uh, the arrangement was kind of weird, where it was like one note for the pedal, and then it was like a bunch of right hand chords. And my left, if I'd played it according to the page, my left hand would have just been like having nothing to do. So you fill it in, and I realized like halfway through that I was like, oh, that's not something I could have done fifteen years ago. Like and what's the difference? The practice. What do you think the difference in you has been? I think it's been so empowering. I think that to be able to do that, you mean? Yeah. What 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 was the change in you that allowed you to do that? I, well, I mean, for that specifically, I think because Mark created such a just encouraging. He's such a gentle spirit, and like that class had that. Like, if you're trying, then you're doing great. So kind do of you vibe. think getting out of your comfort zone? Oh, it transformed me as a musician. That you need a mentor or someone to kind of nudge you along. Yeah, I think I did. Because I, I think I had a lot of probably fear about it. Because yeah. I was like, you of know, course. even too. with like organ improvisation, you know, and like I had, I went to like, you know, there, Eastman has this huge summer improv fest that they do every couple of years, I want to say. And I went and... It was like me, a bunch of like 45, 50 year old people. And I was like 17. <laughs> and it was great, but it also was really intimidating and really like I had a big imposter syndrome in that. And then taking Mark's class um, was, you know, I was with, with my friends, all of us, you know, we were all the same year. So just so Yale takes six organists a year. So you become this kind of like little, little group of sort of friends um and so he just he created the situation of just like if you're trying and if you've done the work then that's that's all that's what I expect of you and it just kind of grew over the years I did have a class in college um what was it called? what was it called it was like keep you know keyboard skills like they don't put a lot of effort into the name of these classes but the point of it was for um i minored in a thing called dow crows eurythmics and um we can dive into another day there's a lot of spirituality there um but it was about it's about like sort of improvising at the piano so that was sort of the start of that um and so it's you know it's been the thing that's building but i think having someone who kind of nudges you gently or even better, says, come along with me. Yes. Um, then it's like, oh, the water, the water's warm. I can, I can, I can contribute. I can bring something. I can, I can show up in a way that is authentic. And also, you know, cause I, my, my keyboard, my keyboard technique doesn't sound like his, doesn't sound like anybody's. Like we all sound different. 
And that's in week to week, I don't sound the same. You know? And that's such a metaphor. We all sound different. Yeah. Right? As human beings. Absolutely. We all do. Totally. And that's so so maybe as we wrap this up a little bit. Yeah. Maybe the challenge for all of us, for mm-hmm. you and me, yeah. for our listening audience and what in visual audience, is to think about how we might bring someone along to help them grow and to see outside of their comfort zone. I love that. To kind of to make the richness of the world come alive more, mm-hmm. right? Because that really is the kingdom of God. Right. You know, we experience all these different things and not just kind of stay off in pockets of right. sameness. And we can, it's like, it's like painting or doing any sort of art when you have all the colors yep. of the rainbow. It's so much richer for it. All needed. All needed. Then, well, thank you so much for spending this we time with We were all me, over Shannon. the place we on were. this. <laughs> well, I was here, so that Thanks. was that going to happen. Exactly. Thank you for being here with us. <laughs> Thank you for being here with us. Roundhill Radio is brought to you by the friends and members of Roundhill Community Church. For more information, please visit roundhillcommunitychurch.org. <laughs>